This week, we'll be talking about Sony's push into other forms of media, EA not wanting to take a stand on current social issues, Microsoft's upcoming Xbox dongle stick thingy, whatever you want to call it, and wow, did Sony really make people pay back the difference from previous discounts and more on Season 6, Episode 20 of Press X to Start Podcast. What is up, everyone? I am your host, Sean M.F. Ross. Uh, we don't have an auxiliary. Uh, what does that mean today? It just means I'm the host. Who else we got here? I'm Avery. What's going on? Press X to start podcast is a weekly show where we talk about the latest gaming news, review the biggest games and give you our thoughts on games that we're playing ourselves. Our goal is to expand the video game media landscape through our underserved point of view. And... Let's continue on to the quick hits. Okay, so our number one story uh, is going to be a relatively sad one. This is a wider, I guess, entertainment-based story, but I'm pulling this from GameInformer.com. This is from John Carson. Ray Liotta, voice of Tommy Versetti, and Grand Theft Auto, Vice City has died. So mm. I know Ray Liotta from Goodfellas. And and just generally being that I I need a vaguely mob like Italian heavy to fill a role in Hollywood, and that's the type of character role he did, which meant the Tommy Versetti uh, Vice City I guess role make the most sense at the time. It's also really weird. I pretty much thought he was also the voice of the main character from Grand Theft Auto Three as well. Uh, he didn't have a voice, Claude. Yeah, I just assumed they were the same character. I always assumed oh. that Claude was the same as Tommy Versetti. Ah, uh, well, pour one out for uh, Ray Liotta. Coincidentally, I was already in the midst of playing Grand Theft Auto Vice City when this news broke, so I uh, kind of feel extra motivated to finish the game now and try to platinum it, you know, at least see all the hard work he's put into the game. But, uh, yeah, sad news to hear. Yeah. Okay, so this is a story from IGN. This is from uh, Amelia Zollner. This comes back to something I've been, I guess, harping on for the last couple of weeks in regards to the faux pas that Sony made and what that ripple would mean for the gaming audience. This is a story uh, EA tells employees it won't speak out on abortion and trans rights. So this IGN report is based on reporting from Kotaku in which at a sort of an EA all-hands meeting, they pretty much said that we as EA aren't going to say anything about this matter going forward. Uh, yeah. I believe the exact quote is, uh, these things are hard and they're personal. We all have our own perspectives and sometimes we don't speak. And that will be upsetting and I understand that we really do. Which is a more straightforward thing than whatever the hell Jim Ryan was doing. But yeah. it comes very much in line of what I assume with the general uh, temperature of the politics of corporate video games in this manner in that no major publisher has made a statement about this. A lot of major publishers have gone out of their way to change their healthcare benefits to be more inclusive to this if it happens, which is fair, but it's not a statement of intent on how you feel about it or any. Uh, oh, nobody wants to chop off a large percentage of their uh, customer base by picking a hard line. So, I mean. I get it. It sucks that they're not willing to stand on one side or the other. Um, it's not all that complicated looking in, but I'm sure it's more complicated, you know, being in the middle of it, being in leadership roles and yeah. what have you. From a corporate, uh, I guess, uh, viewpoint, I, I, I'm online to view it like not taking a side and sitting in the middle and trying to call this the less noise as possible is the best thing for you to do in terms of profits. Like, yeah. Unless there is a like 99% landslide of a viewpoint in regards to an issue, then like there's no reason to threaten your sales by not doing anything. But to my earlier point, PlayStation kicked the hornet's nest and now everyone's yeah. in the sniper's nest of, hey, you need to say something about this. And all this meeting of the statement is pretty much what's probably gone through at every major corporation. They probably don't feel confident enough that their house is clean enough to really take a stance on anything on either side because there's a lot of corporate effery going on behind the scenes, as we saw with uh, I, Riot, as we saw with Activision Blizzard. 
I don't necessarily think that they're trying to hide their like dirty laundry by not taking a positive stand on it. I do think that they as a corporation don't want to kick a corporate hornet's nest on an issue that is not clear cut from the yeah. country. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's not it's not them trying to hide the oh no, we've got sexual harassment. We don't want anyone to investigate, so we're not gonna invest no, because that that's dumb. That shit's gonna come out regardless. I, I I agree. I agree. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Uh next story. This is from The Verge, I believe from Ash Parish. Uh, Activism Blizzard subsidiary wins union vote. The Game Workers Alliance voted to form the second video game union in the United States. Uh, and then an addendum to that is from IGN, which is from, once again, Amelia Zollner. Phil Spencer says he will recognize Raven Software Unions once acquisition is complete. So for the first part, it's very much so that this long-fought thing within Activism Blizzard, specifically Raven Software, about their QA testers has come out on the positive side. They are a union now. And I'm not uh, read up on what a union is enough to know what goes from there and what exactly this means from a corporate structure from Activism Blizzard. For my own cursory knowledge, I do think this will end up costing Activism Blizzard more money. Yeah. So it's from here to see where that money is going to be taken out of, from their profits and or from their uh, customer base. And with the uh, Phil Spencer thing, I don't understand, once again, the corporate politics enough to understand what him saying he'll recognize the union really means other than, oh, we're going to allow it to coexist. Because from my mindset, that is, especially if I am Microsoft corporate, the parent base of Xbox, I'm like, I don't want a union because we are a large organization. And the spark of a union in one smart place that we just say we are allowing will allow unions to flourish all throughout our company, which will inevitably change our corporate structure as we know and see it, which could be a good or a bad thing. I'm not exactly sure. I think uh, the union itself is a good thing for the uh, workers, workers in general. In general, But it, it remains to be seen what are going to be the ramifications of the union within Activation Blizzard and then the greater Xbox envelope. Um, Microsoft, cover your ears, but I'm wondering if they're going to do some... Uh where the counting thing where like they probably splinter that off and it'll be a you know under a shell company type deal or a subsidiary you know what i mean yeah where it's not under microsoft per se but it's its own little side thing y'all can have your union over here there are no unionized companies under microsoft it's interesting because well i don't necessarily believe phil spencer is sincere when he says a lot of things because i I try and uh, I fail a lot of the times. I try not to like feed into the corporate mouthpiece situation, yeah. especially when like you are a business head and you make business head decisions. And like I find that while Phil does a lot of good in regards to the being a public face for Microsoft, there are those moments where he like fucks up royally that just gonna kind of get ignored because of how positive the buzz is. So like this is one of those things where like once again I'm waiting on seeing to see the other shoes going to drop regards to this because there was another story i was going to report on that we were going to talk about but it's one of those situations where like i'm not the most privy to the like inner workings of microsoft and xbox game studios and this is one of those stories i wanted jordan to be here to give his opinion on in regards to what this story means for the greater corporate structure of microsoft but since he's not here it's easier to just skip on and move away because this story was a story that wasn't really uh reported on by many major outlets the only people who really reported on it were like actual tech business insiders and then microsoft aligned i don't want to call them fan websites but like the tenor of the website is uh very microsoft focused yeah yeah so i really want to see what's going to be the next step with uh unions and microsoft i believe we'll see it within the next 12 months if uh the whole deal gets finalized the deal goes yeah yeah okay this was shocking to me and like one of those video game decisions that like how does this happen and like i'll talk to the current story the next story okay so this is from uh, kotaku.com this is from sissy jang spider-man could have been an xbox exclusive marvel execs explains how sony's top-selling game ended up on playstation this story baffles me uh it doesn't it doesn't i can see well continue on with an excerpt from it or, or i can read it if you want Okay, so I'm going to read a bit of the story. So, as originally sponsored by VGC to book the ultimate history of video game 
Volume 2. Details of how Spider-Man ended up becoming a Sony exclusive. Through Activision was publishing Spider-Man for about almost 14 years, Jay Ong, the executive vice president of Marvel Games, felt that publisher wasn't doing enough with their IP. He noted that The Amazing Spider-Man 2, which had released in 2014, had scored in the 40s. So essentially he's explaining that the... Uh, the they break- were poorly performing. Yeah, the, the Spider-Man part. games are like, because uh, Activision was doing the annualized, we're going to pump these out, we're not going to put any real care and TLC into these games, and they were selling on the brand of Spider-Man and not the quality of the games. So, let me go backwards, because I feel like you should have read this part as well. After cutting a decade-long partnership with Activision, Marvel Games has started shopping the Spider-Man property to other major publishers. Taking on an external IP didn't fit with Microsoft business strategy at the time. And they declined. Sony took a gamble and it paid off. I'm thinking they more than likely wanted more control over it. The same way uh, Sony has with the movies. As well as they probably didn't want to coexist with uh, Sony. That would have been a weird, weird relationship where Microsoft has the games and Sony has control of the movies. I mean, I get that. The timeline of this is, okay. so when did Phil Spencer take control of Xbox? I'd be lying to you. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm looking that up. You think he would have uh, accepted that deal? 100%. I don't see, like, here's the thing. 2014. Okay, so Phil took control in 2014, and the Activision deal... When was Spider-Man, uh, Marvel Spider-Man development start? That's what you gotta look at. They lost the rights in 2012. Mm. The, uh, okay, so The Amazing Spider-Man came out in 22, and uh, the license expired in 2014. So these two coincide. I don't understand in the ethos of Xbox, we don't have any games and we're trying to build a shop back. The only thing I can understand, like his- It began in 2014. He probably couldn't make those type of decisions just yet, or he probably didn't feel comfortable making those type of decisions because that's when development started. So uh, all the skeleton work of the game was before that, of course, before 2014. So it was out of his hands. I mean, no, if they got the license in 2014, they didn't start working on the game until 2014. You don't start building a game and then like, oh, we, we have to okay, wait. Okay. Yeah. What I'm saying is development started. So what I mean is paperwork, contracts, and all that had to start before then is what I mean by that. I will say from what I understand about the Spider-Man deal, it was a lot easier for Sony to make that deal because of their previous relationship with Marvel with the Spider-Man just film. Movie rights, rights and all that. Movie, yeah. movie rights and everything. But I don't understand how you as, like, especially in the wake of now where like Microsoft is making deals with Disney for Indiana Jones and other things that like this opportunity came to you and you didn't, one, I don't think it's a gamble because uh, if I've seen anything in pop culture media, there are two characters who just uh, persevere. Not just persevere, who print money. It doesn't matter the quality of the content. If you use that character in the branding of other media, it yeah. will do well. Like, the Venom movies are garbage, but because their association with Spider-Man, they are selling well because most people are on the assumption that, oh, a Spider-Man, especially in the wake of Tom Holland's movie, are going to be in these movies. Uh, Batman is another one where, like, regardless of the quality of the content, you put Batman on something, it's going to sell. That's why DC, 25% of their comic book line are just Batman books. I definitely want to see the corporate discussion making that happen with this. Be a fly on the wall. Yeah, because, like, I don't get a Phil Spencer in charge of Xbox having to rescue that. And their biggest, uh, I guess, thing that we're losing to was not having games and not having games to the quality of a Sony first party. More and, than and likely they were offered that 2012, 2013 before Phil Spencer. And they were just like, nah, who was, who was there before? I, I like once this is one of those, uh, Jordan Xbox insider questions that I, I need to know. Cause I don't know off the top of my hand. Um, I, I'm willing to, bet that they just wanted overall more control and they did not want to coexist with uh sony as far as like you have the movies you typically have tie-in games you got the movie published by sony and the game exclusively on xbox but but then this is a post batman arkham world we're like we're not getting getting movie tie-ins to games a game tie-ins to movies i i i the not coexisting with the Sony proper branding of yeah. of the films and like we, we exist in a world where the Witcher TV show got all of its hype based on the video games. Like some people still can't see that, man. It's free marketing. If there are currently good fucking Spider-Man movies out there and you have the right to make Spider-Man games, that's like, oh, we don't have to do much in marketing. I, I just... 
I don't understand this. This makes no sense to me. In a, this, is, this is why we're arguing with each other in each other's rooms, and we're not sitting in corporate boardrooms. We we know what the customer wants. Uh, well, those at I, the top just kind of think they know what the customer wants. I don't agree that we know what the customer wants. Because if we knew what the customer wants, then like... We'd be we millionaires. Were, yeah, exactly. I think we have an understanding of what we want, mm-hmm. and that more than not does align with what the greater consensus of a customer wants. But like we also don't have the raw data of like, all right, man, uh, we've been releasing X type of games. They don't sell well. People in the chat say they sell well, but they don't sell well. So what are we going to do? I hear you. That's yeah. like uh, the old adage. Everyone wants a used uh, stick shift sports car, but nobody wants to buy them brand new. Yeah. Anyway, this is from The Verge. This is from Jay Peters. Microsoft confirms work on Keystone Xbox game streaming dongle. So something that people have been hypothesizing for a long time since xCloud came out, that once that service got strong enough, Microsoft would abandon a console ecosystem for it and release just a simple streaming box that you plug into a TV that allows you to connect to xCloud, which then allows them to leverage Xbox Game Pass to a non-gamer audience. You know what? It's... It's possible. I'm not sure it's taking so long. I mean, God rest his soul. Stadia showed that it is possible. Uh, you got Amazon Luna. You have GeForce yeah. Go, whatever the hell it is. It's GeForce now. I'm not sure why they're dragging their feet. They already have the service up and running. This is just a small a hardware thing. And I mean, Google allowed for the Stadia to be played through the Chromecast Ultra, and they were selling that for. Fifty dollars, I want to say, fifty, sixty dollars. I'm really wondering what what has them dragging their feet on releasing this. It it would take literally nothing. My hypothesis, because I'm gonna be upfront. This is one of those weird stories. That once again, I wanted Jordan to be in the room to give his thoughts about this because it's something that he might be in the uh he he might be the target audience for this. I'm not exactly sure, but he might be. But I am not. I still don't think game streaming is a viable future for gaming as there is right now. And I think not the sole future. Yeah, and I think that's possibly why Microsoft is dragging their feet. They're trying to find the correct marketing to get it to work beyond just saying, oh, it's xCloud and your thing. Or they run into a Google Stadia situation where they just have this this thing that just has a bad reputation because of what Google Stadia did. True. So it's less because like one of the things the story talks about uh, Given a uh, read at the verge is that they already had one prototype and nearly ready, but they scrapped it. So they're not stressed to build one. It's just build one to make it impressive enough that you can run Stadia game. Like my thing is, they're probably building it so that you don't necessarily have to just do streaming. Yeah, that it's like a small enough but powerful enough piece of architecture that you could say download a game on it and play that game off the thing. There's also the uh, what's happening with the uh, Game Pass uh, xCloud like app that they are partnering with, because I think something someone has pointed out is that like, I don't think you can natively plug a controller to a television that doesn't already have a third party peripheral into it, which means that they can't just create an app. They have to create an app and then prototype it on future televisions that have the capacity to like Bluetooth link a controller to. Or they'd have to do something like what Stadia did with their uh, connected to Wi-Fi. However, they're going to manage. Yeah, but Xbox controllers and most controllers aren't Wi-Fi compatible. Like Stadia built a specific yeah, type of Yeah, you'd probably controller. need a special controller. Uh, I get it. Um, I'm also wondering if they feel like they want to break even on the actual Series S and Series X boxes before they do this. That's true. There's also the uh, other thing about it is like, how do you do you just sell the stick and just hope that people have a controller? Because I will tell you with my Game Pass experience on PC that Game Pass just does not run any other controller than a Xbox controller. I think you were having issues, but that's also the issue of PC gaming is compatibility. And no, I wasn't. I will tell you that I booted up uh, Game Pass on my PC, downloaded Halo Infinite and then plugged in the only controller I had in my house, which was a DualShock, well, the DualSense, and mm-hmm. they just were compatible. I had to download a third-party app to get it to work. And from what I could tell, uh, I think me, me and Jordan got in this argument a while ago, the thing about all of these like non-console-based like video game solutions yeah. is they, they haven't really solved the, uh, 
the controller issue. Mm-hmm. So like that's the thing. So they you could sell the dongle for cheap, but then you have to sell it with a controller. Which it then looks raise, like raise only the, the Xbox controller works with the cloud gaming. Uh, possibly if you you know if you download games, then you can use other controllers. It looks like no. I had multiple Xbox games downloaded to my PC mm-hmm. that could not use anything but an Xbox controller. Well, I mean, I don't care. I'm probably not getting this shit anyway. I got PlayStation Plus Premium coming. That's ultimately, I, it's a two-man podcast, so we're just, I'm trying to stretch out stories and stuff, so I'm trying to have a little bit more discussion on things, because we have yeah. the room and space to do it. So this ultimately, my thing was like, okay, you can't just sell the dongle with the expectation that the person who's going to buy it can just plug and play a controller. Unless yeah, they, there's going to be a lot of disappointed people on birthdays and Christmases if you're not yeah. oh, including I got, everything in the box. Yeah, which means you have to sell a controller, and controllers are now $60, $70 for a good controller, which instantly grazes this place from like anywhere from 30 to 50 to somewhere around 100, which is which is pretty good, I That's guess. That's still impulse buy for some people. Yeah, it's pretty good in comparison, but if you're trying to get this dirt cheap, you go to a fucking Walmart or a uh, Costco and you just see it just sitting there in, in the midst of the other video game peripheral, then like you need uh, you need to figure it out, which, which, which is a marketing thing then, because then you can't sell it to non-gamers. I, those are all the things why I think they're holding out on it because it, those, those are the things that kind of have to be solved in regards to its marketing and its software and things like that. It makes sense. Um, before our next story, uh, subscribers, let us just remind you to uh, show us some love whenever you get the chance. Uh, hit like, subscribe, hit that notification bell, tell all your friends. Avery, do you have any other uh, top five reasons why they should listen and subscribe? Uh, Maybe. Top five reasons we are the number one black-led Xbox podcast that doesn't have paraphilia on it, only when Jordan's here. Number two, we are probably the number five Nintendo uh, podcast led by black men. Hey, uh, that, <laughs> that being said, I haven't touched my Switch in about six months now. Uh, unfortunate uh, pandemic ruined my Smash time. Uh, I thought about touching it. I charged it up the other day. Oh, my, it's just sitting there on the dock. Like, I forgot it in my car for about seven months. I'm like, I should probably put this on the dock so its battery doesn't die. But then again, I don't use it without the dock. So it's like, I don't give a shit about battery. It's staying there, which is why I want to Switch Pro, which is just a, a dock switch that can run Zelda that actually looks good. Uh, number three, we are probably the 10th black-led PlayStation podcast when Blessing Area Jr. isn't on PS I Love You XOXL. It's a natural... Uh, Consequence of us being yeah. PlayStation, us picking PlayStation early on in these console cycles and just being like, I guess I'll stay here. Uh, we are probably the number 20th PC led podcast featuring a quartet of black men. I play games on my PC sometimes, but I, I sit there and mauled because, man, these can, I just want to fucking play this on the controller. God, I hate mouse and keyboard. <sighs> I got a Mac. No real PC games for me. And number five, we are, I guess we are the number one Google Stadia podcast featuring black men because Sean actually paid money for that and on repeated occasions told us of the games he played. And for the sixth reason, it's good for the skin. Anyway, moving on to the next story. This is a big story that like, I don't have any like real insight on or care about because of what it means to the greater landscape. Uh, this is from Game Informer from uh, Jason, I'm going to say, uh, Guisau. Take Two acquired Zynga, second biggest deal in video games history. So, so they started this process a while back when it was finally approved. Yes. Like. Yeah, they spent $12.7 billion on Zynga. Uh, so yeah, uh, Take Two now owns probably the biggest mobile game publisher in the world. You know, uh, this is upsetting because I used to own some Zynga stock. And I sold it when it dipped a little too hard for me. <laughs> this was after uh, uh, what Farm Bill's popularity kind of sank, but I mean, could have stayed in for the long haul. I could have been a thousandaire. Yeah, so they began this deal in January of 2022. So it took about four months, mm. or around four to five months, to get this deal to come through, which is like uh, pretty quick. Pretty well, pretty quick in reference to what the Xbox One, which I think we'll probably still be dealing with for the next three to four months. But yeah, uh, I have no idea what that means for Take-Two and Orzinga outside of probably Take-Two's trying to make a push into mobile games, whether that means they just want to strengthen 
their whole with Zynga's games, or they want to turn their actual IP into mobile games. Who could tell? Uh, this next story, this week was weird in that if you wanted to hear any Xbox news, good luck, because the entire week was just every day. PlayStation's dropping a bit of news every day. Something's happening with PlayStation. And so there was a bevy of stories that were going on this week that I'm trying to try and consolidate into these next couple of, uh, I guess, quick hits. Yeah. Uh, but the number one, and this is a story I really wish Marcus was here on because we had a lot of discussion on this in our own private channels. Uh, this is from Zach Swison from Kotaku. Sony bringing Horizon Zero Dawn to Netflix and uh, a Gran Turismo show to someone. So we had already known that they had shopped around and Amazon Prime had bid on a uh, God of War show, which me and Marcus sort of mauled about uh, back and forth because I'm on the mindset that if you make a God of War show, you don't start with the 2018 God of War. You have to build the idea of the Krails as an awful person. Or, yeah. But I relent to the fact that I think Amazon Prime is, in terms of their content, they are willing to throw a budget on it so it's not going to look cheap. Whether it's good, I can't predict that, but it won't. I mean, they put some good money behind, uh, what the hell is it, the Lord of the Rings show? Yes. I'm, it's not a Lord of the Rings person, so I'm not yeah. sure the quality of it. But well, the Lord of the Rings show hasn't come out yet. Uh, oh, okay. if, if we're talking about there. If my favorite reference is, I'm a big fan of The Expanse, which is a sci-fi show set in space. And like the big things about those type of shows, it, it's super easy to just be like, I right, we're just in a random sci-fi s set. Yeah. Uh, we're trying to save budget on everything. CGI looks bad. We try to avoid that. When The Expanse went to Amazon from sci-fi, the budget on that show doubled and it just looked great. The show had already done a good job of like making its sci-fi world look good on a budget on television. But the, yeah. with, with Amazon, they gave it a notch up. So like a wintry-esque Norse land with various creatures. Uh, should it, honestly, it, as long as it looks better than The Witcher, this show will look believable. My big problem with Witcher is a lot of it's just like, I this guy in like a Halloween mask. This is well, Netflix don't got that type of money to be throwing around. They got to start pulling some purse strings. Well, there in lies are another bit is that Sony's bringing Horizon Zero Dawn show to Netflix. And my immediate thought was, oh, God, this will not end well. Because <laughs> what you're essentially asking is Netflix, we need you to stretch out over six to ten episodes a show with realistic giant robots. We'll see. We'll yeah. see. I mean, the, the other avenue is they can easily go, we're going to tell a Horizon Zero Dawn prequel and we're going to tell it in the before time. So like Ted Farrell and all those people. So we don't have to stretch on making a like apocalyptic yeah. post-fantasy world. But it's one of those things where like, from what I can tell, Netflix only throws a budget behind something if it's a guaranteed hit. So like uh, a good example is Stranger Things season four came out. Uh, yeah. I watched all of it. Outside of some, I have not yet. Outside of some dodgy special effects in certain areas, the show looks immaculate. Like and it doesn't have to work very hard because a lot of it's just set in the '80s, so it's less like the greatest decade, I guess. Uh, it's less uh, world design and more set design in terms of yeah. this place just has to look like it came out of the '80s. But when the special effects happen, like there's like, oh, these these look really good. Mm. So I have confidence that Netflix can muster the money to make it look good. I just don't have the confidence that Netflix will actually put it, TLC into it. Yeah, it feels to me like this is very much going to be a Cowboy Bebop situation where like the show is just going to look bad. Like no ifs, ands, or buts. It's not going to have the quality that you expect from the game. And one of the game's biggest like selling points is how good it looks. Uh, hopefully Sony sees some pre-production stuff and is like, nah, we're taking this back. We're going to hand this over to somebody hbo i mean some shit like that now who the hell is making gran turismo what no idea uh they just said they're shopping out to someone no one's been confirmed there's been a lot of scuttlebutt or whether this is a tv show or a movie uh and whether it's going to be a narrative or a documentary because i think neil blomkamp was attached to it and i'm like i like neil blomkamp a lot yeah. i think his i think his work is great when it comes to science fiction <laughs> unless I, I, I have no idea what this is going to be. We'll see. Well, long story short, the story ultimately revolves that Sony is very confident in their, their, in their, uh, IPs. In their, in their IPs in the multimedia space. Uh, Uncharted, I think, is somewhere on the top five greatest video game adaptations of all time. 
which is one of those things where like not really a humble brag. It was a low bar. <laughs> it's a little bit of a humble brag, but like in a world where Sonic popped off the way it did, then like I think it's number two might be. Yeah. Then it's like that's actually pretty good. Hey, 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 we still got that first Mario movie from back in the nineties. Yeah, that movie that movie is so bad, it's so good. Watch your mouth. Like that movie is like oh, dude, I love it. I will watch that movie anytime it's on. But it's one of those movies where like you can really tell that someone didn't want to do anything cartoony. So they yeah. said, I how do we interpret mushrooms? I fungus. Okay. How do we interpret the toads? I it's a weird <laughs> it, it's this thing. Okay. Yeah, no. Some decisions were made. The ideas in that movie are fantastic. It's just the movie itself. It's just like, it's an acquired taste. It's the type of movie you had to watch when you were like seven years old with no understanding of what Mario was to have any <laughs> any <laughs> love or adulation for it. Mm. Mm. Any, anyway, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is another one of those weird stories where I don't really have a particular take on it or really care about it because I was not the target of it. But the story in itself is from... Forrest is from Paul Taffy. Sony is reportedly making players pay back PS Plus discount under the new system. And then there's an immediate addendum from uh, The Verge, which is from Ash Paris. Sony fixes PlayStation Plus subscription pricing error. So before I get to the meat of what the story is, Sony is claiming that this is an error on their part and it's been fixed. And that those who were affected will be refunded. And then uh, I guess I believe they were going to be gifted something like a waiver or something for whatever. But... The meat of the story is that it was the Wild West Gold Rush when Sony made the PlayStation Plus thing, uh, PlayStation Plus uh, uh, announcement, announcement, and then didn't have any policies in place to deal with upgrading and discounts and other things. So people who were invested in the service enough that wanted to buy it but didn't want to actually wait and see what it was before they put their money into it went out of the way to uh, abuse the system via discounts, via stacking uh, like cards from third-party vendors, because from what they claim with the rollout, that if you act, say PlayStation Now, you're going to get PlayStation Plus Premium at essentially a $60 discount. Yeah. Uh, the, all new PlayStation Plus has rolled out in, I guess, Asian markets right now, so we're starting to yeah. see a lot of things spill out from there in regards to game quality, uh, library, uh, and other things. But PlayStation came out, a couple of emails to certain people that like, hey man, you got to set a discount, we're gonna need you to pay back this discount. Ultimately, every year Sony has a PlayStation Plus discount where they sell it for 25 to 30% off. And um, sometimes people are stacking year over year. So there are some people out there whose subscription doesn't end until like 2030, 2035. I don't know how far you can stack it out, but um. Ultimately, if you got 30% off in order to upgrade to the new set. I don't necessarily think Sony puts out the discounts. I think the third-party vendors who sell those cars are putting out them at a discount. I don't know if they can track how much you pay for the cards. It was Sony sells directly PlayStation Plus at a discount through various times of the year. They also just sell it and you can buy it directly from the store. They have a sale. Me and you may not use that, but they do do that. Oh, then never mind. Then I'm speaking on my ass then, because I just generally assume that any discounts are from third-party vendors trying to uh, just take yeah. advantage of stuff. And now, I, like around this time, around Days of Play and around Black Friday, Boxing Day, whatever major sales holidays that they have, Sony sells it directly on your PlayStation. If you go to the PlayStation Store, you can get it for twenty-five to thirty percent off or whatever, and. If you had stacked or for whatever reason, if you were trying to upgrade to PlayStation Plus, God damn it, their freaking naming system. They got essential PlayStation Plus Extra or PlayStation yeah. Plus Premium. In addition to the $60 or whatever you had to upgrade, you had to pay back that 20 or 30% discount that you got previously. And the big question was, how can they track how much you bought the card for? You know what I mean? Unfortunately, some people, like I said earlier, bought 10 years in advance. That meant they needed to spend, I don't know, $600 to upgrade because they weren't doing it in partial upgrades. I'm going to keep it a buck. I know a lot of people were pissed off about this, but this is one of those like PlayStation stories that like I just generally don't give a shit about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not the target market. I get it. But there was a lot of hullabaloo and hoopla on Reddit, subreddits and all that and Neogaf and whatever. I'm not the target audience for this. 
I don't see the value of buying years in advance unless I knew I would be broke ten years from now. Then like I would. Then hey, I would just, some people got all their vices lined up in a row, and like, they know when that supply is gonna run out. Like, like here's the thing: buying a year with the PS Plus makes yeah. sense to me. You're saving money on PlayStation Plus, and then like if it's not worth it for you in a year's time, like you don't have to worry about it till it has to renew, and then you can deal with that. But like buying five years of it just because you can get it cheap is one of those things unless you're getting it legitimately dirt cheap like unless you're buying five years worth of placing the plus for the exact same price i would normally pay for a year's worth it would never cross my mind to like i need to start like paying attention to these discounts and sales well cd keys was selling them the year is normally 60. They, they were normally selling it for like 24 25 dollars for one year so i would stack up two to three years at a time like it was nothing because I wanted to retain access to the games that I was playing. You know, I, I put over a thousand hours, two thousand hours into a Binding of Isaac that I got from PlayStation Plus for free or Spelunky or what have you. Ultimately, as we move on, because this is ultimately a very anti-consumer story. And I honestly don't know whether it was a gentleman error or this is PlayStation being caught with their pants down and being like, all right, we got to pivot real quick. So there's not much bad blood about this. But this is one of those situations where like, uh, like I don't it's like they didn't foresee this much abuse and this much backlash in the uh, boardroom yeah in regards to what you're talking about when buying device and things like that like I really play my places plus games mm-hmm. like I every once in a while I'll pay attention and download it but more than not most of the games that I wanted to play I've already got it and if I didn't get it it's only a rare occasion that I pay attention I'm like oh I need to play this game but in those situations I go out of my way to just buy the game after the fact anyway um, I mean, sometimes there are just pleasant surprises that just weren't on my radar that I ended up loving, just like Binding of Isaac. I didn't know about the game prior. I saw the ad for it and was like, mm, let me check it out. So you never know. That's kind of like Game Pass, where you're going to discover games you might have never bothered to actually pay attention to or pay for outright. But moving on. Yeah. OK, so our next story is once again, still in the Sony bag. It's a lot. Uh, this is from uh, IGN. Sony expects to make 300 million of PC games this year. And there's an addendum from Kotaku. Well, the initial story is from IGN. It's from uh, Rebecca Valentine. And the, the addendum is Sony is bringing even more PlayStation games to PC following massive success by Ari Notice from Kotaku. So essentially, we had a bunch of PlayStation earnings call and investor stuff. And they pretty much gave raw numbers of how much their games have been selling. Like the four places in the game that they released, Death Stranding, Gaze Gone, God of War, and Horizon. And they've all been doing incredibly well and making them money on top of things. And so the trend is going to continue. They've also talked about how more and more of their games are going to come to PC going forward. Uh, there is actually a leaked Steam news that uh, Returnal is coming to PC as well soon. So that's another thing. The question that everyone's trying to have is whether they're going to come uh, day and date. Or they're going to do a staggered release. I see staggered release. I feel like they're going to try to get as much money. I agree as well. But the question is whether that's the best decision or the or the uh, which is a more financially prudent decision. Once again, they have the spreadsheets. They have the trends all set out in front of them. I also think that uh, holding off on the PC games, especially now that they've bought uh, that PC porting house, actually yeah. is better because that means PC gamers are going to get. The best the version, best quality. Of, the best quality, the best version of that game, the least buggy and stuff versions of that game, and by and large, the most optimized versions of those games after the fact, with all the bells and whistles. Unlike yeah. other games, like let's say, I want to say Batman Arkham City or you know Arkham Knight, where the PC port was just unplayable. Yeah, like oh yeah, that's a good example. If that game was designed for a console. They also released it for PC, but that game was designed to be played on a console with a controller. That's where the main development went through. So the PC port obviously was going to be the secondary thing to that. Mm. I think that with Sony is the same thing as well. And it makes it easier for them to develop their game if they're only working for one platform and then develop it after the fact, optimize with all the stuff they've released after the fact, with all the hype that that game succeeded to also sell more. Yeah. Like, the, the argument that I hear from a lot of people is that they would sell just as much if they released it day and date without seeing their raw numbers. I don't necessarily know, especially when it comes to brand new IP. I don't think like a good example is Horizon Zero Dawn. If they release that game day and date, both on PC and PS4, 
No one on PC has any frame of reference for anything really Guerrilla has ever done. It's a brand new IP. That game selling on PC, unless they marketed it to PC, is like a yeah. word of the mouth situation. But selling it two years after the fact, after everyone's talking about, oh, this Horizon game was amazing, and there's all this coverage and stuff onto it. It's a second bump of marketing that gives that game a second life. I don't see it happening day and date just because it's more of a like dealerships will have a halo car in their dealership to get you in the showroom and then show you other stuff while you're there. They want the big profile games on PlayStation and those will be system sellers. Those will get you in the showroom. Here's some other stuff while you're here. Yeah, I think with the way PlayStation has maneuvering themselves with the hey, 10 years ago, I would have never thought I'd start seeing PlayStation games on PC. If a game requires a multiplayer base, they're going to make it a day and date situation. Like if a game is going to be like a multiplayer game and they have access to PC, especially with their weird relationship with Epic that I need to really dig into, because I think PlayStation owns about 5% of Epic games, that uh, it makes the most sense to simultaneously release that on both platforms. Well, if it's a single player focused game, especially if it's a brand new IP, like let the PlayStation audience, I guess, beta test that shit. Like this reminds me back in the day, back in the 360 days, when uh, Microsoft would give millions of dollars to Japanese uh, developers to make, uh, I, I guess, console exclusive versions of their games. And then when a meeting would happen within the next year, that game would release on PS4 as a definitive edition. <laughs> and, and, and like, I'm not, not PS4, PS3, and like sort of run better, have everything like that. And I'm like, I think I have a PC, I have a PS5. I like playing things better on my PS5. So I'm not a PC audience claiming for this. And the PC audience I pay attention to doesn't really give a shit. Like, yeah. to them, they either play one, one or two games. No, I get it. One, and they're always trying to get it as dirt cheap as physically possible. So like the idea that they would have to pay $60 for a AAA game is ludicrous to them, which I think is fascinating. Mm. And so our final story is thanks to the weird time loop that we live in. This is going to be a moot point, but I thought it'd be fun if me and Sean talked about it. So PlayStation announced a 30 minute state of play uh, for, uh, I guess, what was the date? It's the- June 2nd. So by the time you guys hear this, uh, it will already be out, but we're more than likely going to do a reacts video to it so you're, you're gonna see it uh where the hell is my calendar you're gonna see a, a video from us more than likely either that friday or uh saturday yeah the headline to this is that breaking from playstation will have some exciting reveals from our third party partners plus a sneak peek at several games in development for playstation vr there here's an addendum to that story from uh the verge playstation vr is set to launch with over 20 major games this is from john porter so I'm on the mindset that I'm no longer excited for a state. Like, I think PlayStation does such a good job of like setting expectations for what the state of play is yeah. that unless it's something I'm excited for and they told me to be excited for it going in, I'm never going to be like, oh man, what's this going to be? Well, because I mean, it says we'll have some exciting reveals from our third party partners. So you know, that's the exact same word that they talked about when they released the last one, which was like, here are five weird Capcom games that like are Japanese focused that we're probably never going to see. So I'm not going to throw out these wild speculations like, okay, third party partners, uh, what are third party games are going to be talking about? But it's always fun to watch the state of play. I, I, I have fun watching them. And I'm excited to see what the PSVR 2 stuff actually is going to be. They say we're going to have over 20 games at launch for this thing. I don't think we're going to see much of that at the state of play. They would have said so. They did. Plus a sneak peek at several games in development for PlayStation VR 2. That's in their wordage. So we're going to see some PlayStation VR 2 content. And if they say they have over 20 games, I think we're going to see not a sizable chunk, but... Mm-hmm. It depends on when their showcase is going to be. Because if they say play pretty much tells me their showcase is not going to be till fucking uh, like September or late August situation. Yeah. Uh, and it depends on whether they're going to devote any part of that showcase to places of VR2 and whether places of VR2 is launching during this calendar year. But I'm of the mindset that we'll maybe get a couple of banger announcements from this. Like, I think... The least that we can hope for is Half-Life Alex being confirmed to be a PlayStation VR 2 launch title. Mm. I guess I gotta go play the first Half-Life and the second Half-Life. I mean, 
You don't. Like, old game is old. Those games are old as fucking balls. I, I played a little bit of it. I just never finished it. it. It's one of those games where, like, I I was like you. I'm like, people always talk about Half-Life. Let me play them. And then I think we got the orange box, and I started playing Half-Life 2. And I'm like, this game is fucking not fun. <laughs> this game is, like, this game is so made in the era before first-person shooters became, like, a genre that it's just like, oh. Well, yes and no. Because, I mean, it was on PC at first. I mean, I get what you mean. Probably wasn't all that well adapted to a controller at the time. They did, even, they did I, their best. It's, it's not even the controller stuff. It's just the game's inherent design. Oh, uh, okay. Like if I'm sitting here thinking about, oh man, I was playing fucking Call of Duty or I was playing fucking Battlefield, and I think about those first person shooter campaigns, sort of like the tenor of action those games into, and I think of Half Life, I'm like, I Half Life One and Half Life Two, I'm like, okay. I think the story is actually really good. Which is yeah. the only saving points, but like to take a card out of DJ's book, I don't necessarily think you need to play the game to enjoy that game story. But yeah, so ignoring our weird time loop, is there any predictions you have for this showcase of what you may or may not see? Final Fantasy 16? More? That depends. What's going to excite us? I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, there are a bunch of things that can excite us. Like, there's a bunch of things. But the question uh, is are they other going than to- what we know of already. Well, that's the question. Are they going to show that stuff at this state of play, or are they going to wait and put that stuff in their showcase? In regards to Final Fantasy 16, from all the rumors we've heard, that game is on track to come out by the end of this year. We know as of now that Square has no uh, press conferences in any stage, so that game has to show up somewhere this year. You know, I forgot about the showcase as well, so damn, when are they going to do that? Well, uh, yeah, well, I, I, I think I said earlier, it's probably going to be in August, September, like they did last year. Like, uh, something we talked about last week is that like in a year that xbox is not going to have like a banger end of the year they don't feel any pressure to really show much there's no real pressure to have a showcase in july or anything like that because like cool xbox is going to show a bunch of games that are probably going to be bangers but you won't be able to play till next year true true that and if playstation is sitting on both god of war uh maybe the last of us remake there's no real impetus to pull the trigger i guess to show those games to compete with games that aren't to come out till next year. Uh, so back to what I was talking about Final Fantasy 16. As far as we know, Square isn't having a press conference. Sony's press conference is probably going to be at the end of the year. Uh, unless Summer Games Fest gets a big reveal for that, it's reasonable that you could see 16. But I think they would save that for the big showcase. Okay, yeah, so that's the week after. I think we're getting Stray. We're going to get a Stray release date, which was already leaked. So that game's coming out like in two weeks. So that's cool. We're definitely going to see some Stray. We were probably going to see more Forspoken. Uh, I think you talk about that game now. You give it a state of play at some time towards the game's release. And you don't put it in your big showcase. There is Street Fighter 6 rumors. Uh, If that game is going PlayStation exclusive again, then possibly here. Uh... I can't think of anything else. Anything else more I could think of would be me being like, but why would you show it here when you can show it at your big showcase and it's elevated by everything else? But yeah, we're going to see uh, plays in the VR too. That's cool. All right. Uh, yeah. We haven't been playing much games. Uh, I've been playing Slate Aspire, Vice City, struggling trying to get this 100%, but nothing new, nothing major. Avery? Uh, just Apex, and then I went back to Seafood and started playing it at the, uh... Much, much... I'm not gonna say much. I'm gonna... Well, it, it is much easier. But I'm gonna say the difficulty the game probably should have launched that. It's still slightly difficult, isn't it? No, I don't find it difficult. I remember banging my head against the wall in the club, and when I tell you I got to Sean at the end of it without dying, and then beat Sean without dying, and then I'm trying to spare him i've redone that entire run like three times without dying then like i don't think it's like that difficult Mm. i would say just wait till you get to the end boss because he ignores a lot of your moves i oh if you're talking about focus moves i don't use them so Uh, even like sweeps and stuff like that like like you think when i tell you that i only use the basic combos and yeah. then dodging, that's pretty much all I do. Like, all the complicated, oh, I, this is a fighting game, I need to use the, the, the fighting game, like, uh, button prompts and things like that. Like, playing that game 
in this early round, I'm like, when I'm like, oh, I'm surrounded by five, six different people, they're all trying to hit me from different angles, and now you want me to do the like complicated move set that just punches through the balls? No, I'm going to use the most simplest tools this game gives me to squeak out victory. <laughs> I'm gonna go back to that in Platinum and Two eventually. Yeah, yeah. Without even achieving it, I'm still age twenty, and like I've gotten the two trophies that are based upon age. like, well, the age one I got super early on. But I got the two trophies that are based on high score and that are based on um, experience. The one that's actually going to be hard for me is the one that's based on getting 5K in terms of uh Yeah, point. I struggled with that. I think I yeah. was like a couple hundred points under. Yeah, but... I, what it looks like, I'm just going to have to like fucking run the first mission over and over and over again and just try and run it like pitch perfect and not get hit. Then that's going to be the easiest way to do it. Mm. Well, that's all we got for today, I believe. Um, this has been another episode of Press X to Start Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as me and Avery enjoyed making it. Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting apps. Every little bit helps. Remember to like, share, subscribe on our YouTube channel. If you missed any of the details, you can find this and more at our website at pressx2start.com. Until next time, you know what to do. Deuces.